Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Happy holidays to you and yours. Uh, Barton Simmons, Chip Patterson. Barton, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. We're sitting here on the 26th. We're packing our bags. We will soon be IRL face-to-face as we have our coverage for CBSSports.com of the Orange Bowl matchup between Alabama and Oklahoma. We will later in this show uh, be getting to... A, a, what we learned from Clemson and Notre Dame media days as part of an in-depth Cotton Bowl preview. But uh, how how are you feeling? I mean, it's it is uh, we're we're in final countdown to the semifinals. Is your body ready to hit the road? It is. It is. It's been, uh, in fact, uh, you know, I've been in knee deep in three year old and one year old Christmas, and it's uh, football has has just been sort of like getting the side eye, like the little like half watch here and there in bowl season while I'm wrapping presents or chasing kids or. So it might be good to get a little little sabbatical from uh, from the, the, the Christmas chaos. Get down to, to Miami and uh, dig into some ball here. Did, uh, so, yeah, it's going to be fun. Did you get your eyes on yet another brilliant Dave Clawson-led Wake Forest Bowl win? I, I did see, you know, same deal. I kind of, you know, poked in and out of it. But uh, at the very – I did catch the end. Because you know, given the locks situation, I had I had some skin in the game on that one, and um, it, it didn't disappoint. I think that my biggest uh, takeaways, my biggest shock from the weekend was not that Wake Forest was able to win thirty-seven thirty-four against a Mike Norvell Memphis. Uh, it was not that Troy dropped twenty-one in the fourth quarter uh, to win to beat Buffalo by ten. I think it was the seventy burger. That Army oh. put on Houston. Um, whoa, that was a bad, bad call from me. And it leads to one of our early news and notes. For some reason, like, I totally had plugged the wrong headline into the wrong file. I, I miss... I mislabeled a file. And if you deal with data management and you listen to this, then that's maybe you can relate to this more than those uh, who were calling me wrong. But I thought that Kendall Browse had committed uh, to a new contract to Houston. And he may have... Uh, at least when the assistant coaching carousel started to spin a little bit and rumors were flying. But shortly after uh, a a woeful performance by Houston in the bowl game, Kendall Bryles has announced as Florida State's offensive coordinator. Uh, what what are your thoughts on the hire? Uh, well, and, and not only that, but uh, Stephen Godfrey of SB Nation reported that, um, that Major Applewhite's his his future is in doubt. I think is is at least the the vibe of the headline after that seventy to fourteen whooping. Uh, and you know we'll remember that. Uh, is it who, who's the Fertitta that is the the the, the big Houston booster? Uh, either way, he said. I don't know, but unfortunately, I call their uh, basketball arena, which is named after him, the Frittata Center, and it's not fair to him, but it just sounds really good in my head. <laughs> well, he said after Applewhite was hired, he said uh, he better go win some games because coaches get fired around here for eight and four, and what are they, eight and five? Mm, 
uh, after a seventy-point yep. loss. Yeah. So in and and uh, in retrospect, because I leaned Army on that one, um, but I didn't lock it in. And obviously, of course, in retrospect, like it's of the seventy to fourteen beating, it's always easy to to have twenty twenty hindsight. But I mean, Houston wanted no part <laughs> of, that. Of, of that game. <laughs> like, who does? Who at the end of the season? after a relatively disappointing year at that really wants to go and battle like a triple option offense uh, with a run defense that's not very good to begin with but for, against a service academy squad that is just you know lives for this stuff uh, that was obviously in retrospect the layup of the of the bowl season but uh, I wish we'd sniff that out beforehand yeah uh, but that said, Kendall Bryles to Florida State. I haven't seen. I don't. You know, there's been some mixed reporting on whether or not he's going to bring his offensive line coach with him, uh, which would be interesting uh, because you know Florida State just hired last year James Fry, who's the who's a really you know pulled him from Michigan before they was in Indiana. He's a really good developer and evaluator of offensive line talent. Obviously, that's the big issue. At Florida State right now, you know, do they cut bait on him just to get, or did they cut bait on him just to get Kendall Bryles on board? Because that that was apparently the hang up for Kendall Bryles at Tennessee too. Is uh, Pruitt wanted to keep Will Friend as his offensive line coach, Bryles wanted to bring an offensive line coach with them. So I'm curious how that all got sorted out at Florida State. Um, but I don't know what what do you think? Do you, what what do you think about this hire and the impact? at Florida State. I think is this, is this the answer? Not necessarily the answer. I think that I I've come around on him being uh, a, a respected mind in his own right and deserving of credit that exists beyond the shadow of his father or his last name. My my big sort of storyline takeaway is just, you know, we're I I wonder if if Kendall Bryles, if he will ever have an opportunity, and if so, has that opportunity come where his tie to the scandal at Baylor um, is removed from his biography or from the potential of hiring him as an offensive coordinator at one of the you know big time programs in college football, is is that still something that would prevent him from moving on in his career if he's really really successful at Florida State? Because Florida State is. In in one sense, Florida State is very, very used to scandal. And in another sense, you might look at Florida State uh, after the entire Jameis Winston era and wonder if university leadership is is willing to to jump down that hole. And I I was I was gonna ask that aloud because I think that within the college football capital F football community Kendall Bryles uh, has removed himself. I think that they can look at Kendall Bryles, they can see a bright young offensive coach and not someone who was, is is tied directly to the scandal at Baylor, the mismanagement of uh, sexual assault allegations. I, I don't know. I think that it is, f- for only reasons that might be political or off-field, potentially curious but obviously whatever happened in the interview process was good enough so that willie taggart who by the way also had some assistant uh hire situations go sideways at oregon too that willie willie taggart was able to say nope you're coming on board i'm ready for you to represent the program yeah i i think this is if he's successful i mean that's the, that's the next if if he's really successful as the florida state offensive coordinator then it washes clean 
his sins at Baylor, right or wrong. Like I'm not. That's that's I'm not. That's your anal- on, Yeah, that's your analysis yeah, that, of that, that, the way he's going to be viewed. It, it, it will be forgotten if he becomes the next big thing, and his his quote sins at Baylor, or a little murkier maybe than Art Browse. It was more about sort of, and I know there was some. You know, I think he texts a recruit, "Hey, we, you know, uh, if you like white girls, they, you know, this is the place for you," or something like that. I mean, there's some things like that in there with Kendall Browse, if I remember right. That that's it's, isn't a good look, but ultimately, it's it's not really his cross to bear, so to speak, um, in a, in in the grand sense of it, the way it, it is with Art Browse. Uh, but I think right or wrong if he's really successful at florida state uh it's it will it will be it will be forgotten because he will just become then a coach that is that good because obviously he's taken over an offense that's horrible uh and if he turns it around he'll he'll be praised as the savior so his talents his ability will outweigh whatever uh question marks in his past may be there um you know so i think on the football side of it though i i was i think at 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 baylor he was a rising star but how much of it was art how much of it was kindle uh at fau last year i mean i think we saw perhaps what he meant to that offense sure this year i mean they Uh, still had devin singletary and the offense just dropped Yep. Um, they, I, I, you know, I, I would have to look. The Houston offensively sure felt like it was more or more effective this year. Um, and I don't know how dramatic the numbers changed. I'd have to look. Uh, but it sure felt like there was a improvement. And yet it's still a little bit of a um, – and, and I do think like he – I think he's smart enough – to to um, be able to adjust and adapt where maybe there's deficiencies like in the offensive line like I don't think he's the type I, I think one thing you're getting with with Kendall Browse is someone that don't have to have a, a perfect offensive line to be successful like they're gonna they're gonna use this the skills and the tools and uh, that they have and they won't you know try to uh, you know seven step drop a quarterback with a with the leaky offensive line and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I think I'm, I don't, I, for some reason I'm, I'm like a little bit less bullish on him this year than I would have was last year even. And I think that's partially just because Houston just felt soft. And, and I, I think sometimes when your offense or your defense aren't married up and you're just putting together two units and there's not sort of a symmetry and a, and a cohesion between the two units. Uh, you're, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, the, the, the product on the field doesn't look as good. And in a way this feels like a little bit like that, like, all right, let's hire the offensive guy and, uh, and, and fix the offense and we'll see if the defense keeps pace as well. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the hire for sure. I, I don't think that it will necessarily be. I don't. I don't think that this this is going to change things for Florida State. I think that this could uh, help improvement, and I think that we could see. I think that we might have seen. How about this? I think that Florida State 
it was probably going to see an improvement in wins regardless of what happened on the offensive staff just by the nature of uh the the slow and painful turner turnaround and turnover that it takes to grow out of uh where the program had slid to so quickly uh over the course of last season like if walt bell had stayed next year florida state's maybe eight and four and yet i think kendall Bryles ceiling is probably eight and four or the florida state ceiling with kendall Bryles as oc is probably eight and four but a lot of that is also the you know just Willie Taggart year two, right? I mean, isn't should shouldn't we also give Willie Taggart a little bit of um, it, some kind of assumption that similar to South Florida or at, at other stops in his career that just him being around a little bit longer that we could see steps forward taken for the program regardless? Uh, I, I do think so. And by the way, the offensive line coach is named Greg Fry, not James Fry. I, James Fry wrote a million little pieces, a book. I read a long time ago, and for some reason, I always <laughs> get their names confused now because they're the same last name. I want I wanted to correct that. So, I agree. This is just sort of, but but this tells me something about how dire the situation feels for Willie Taggart. That they've got to go get. They got to pay top dollar for a big time offensive coordinator. A they got to outbid someone for a big time offensive coordinator because. You know, Willie's been the one that's been running the offense uh, in the past. And so for him to just sort of hand it off and, and give up on the the Gulf – what is it? The Gulf Coast? Gulf Coast offense? I was – yeah, the Gulf Coast offense and, and hand it to, you know, a Bryles and say fix it. I, I think that – I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for Florida State. I don't know whether I feel good about it or bad about it. I mean, look, I think you feel good about the hire. Sure. I think you feel good about – Kendall Browse is an offensive mind. I just wonder, like, how I'm supposed to feel about the. I, I just wonder how I'm supposed to feel about sort of Willie Taggart and his confidence in in and where he stands in this rebuild. If he's paying top dollar for someone to go take over the offense, maybe it's just this is a bigger job than he ever imagined. He's got more to deal with. He's got to hand it off, um, but. You know, Willie Taggart's been the guy that has, and you're hiring Willie Taggart in part because of the Willie, you know, Willie Taggart and what he's produced offensively. So I, I just think this is a this is this whole Florida State thing is 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 getting to be more convoluted and complicated and and hard to read than I think we ever than we ever anticipated when the when the hire was oh announced. Oh my gosh! You know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, over under, Willie Taggart, ACC championships at Florida State, one and a half. About a half, <laughs> you know? Right, I mean. Like, are the, we there? Are we, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think yeah. he can get one. I think it is, I, I do believe that it is possible that Willie Taggart's entire Florida State tenure will come and go without an ACC championship. Yeah. And some yeah. of that's just because also we're talking about the distance to Clemson. Um. Well, they uh, they may not have to worry about Miami too much the way they're going. <laughs> no. Um, no. What do we got? So we got Miami. Miami news is Jeff Thomas, one of their ex- most explosive playmakers, is transferring to brum, Illinois. Congrats on Lovey Smith. That's a nice get for him. Jaron Williams has been convinced, recruited back to the team to stick around. Uh, all the while, Nikosi Perry is his 
I guess his has he been suspended for the bowl game? Anyways, he had some some tweeted some apparently tweeted. I didn't. I, I mean, some some I don't know. Snapchatted or tweeted or something. Some sexually explicit video or something. Uh, and meanwhile, Manny Diaz is off to um, off to Temple, and they got a thirty eighth ranked recruiting class in the country. Yeah. Uh, Kind of a mess. Kind of a mess right now in Miami. What's I mean? Well, what's the uh, like? Like, where does where do they get out of it? I think I think my is Miami about to just slide back into this middle of the ACC Al Golden esque kind of floundering for another two seasons because you know losing Jeff Thomas uh, the the sort the turnover the struggles on offense the the in some because some of it hasn't entirely been the fault of Mark Rick. Some of it's just been like horrible. I'd like what's up with uh, the fact that Malik Young and Amon Richards are having like their careers ended by, by neck issues. And you know, that, yeah. that, that defensive backfield, you know, kept getting banged up through the season and the offensive line was, was really struggling at times. It just, it feels like this is a, you know, Mark Rick often likes to point out that, the perception of Miami probably is closer to a big school than the reality of it being uh, a small private school. And the enrollment is not what people might assume when they think about the Miami football of the early 2000s or even the Miami football of, you know, great decades before. But the it's like the personnel issues and the personnel struggles and the fact that their depth really can't be trusted. It's almost like they've got a football team representative of a small private school at the Power 5 level. Yeah, yeah, but are we going to say, are we saying that Miami is... Is allowed to be judged as Vanderbilt or Wake Forest? Right, they yeah. got it. Like, we're, they're, also, they, they're also the U, and I don't know, maybe the U is the U, is the U harder to, um, to live up to than we're giving it credit for. I guess that's maybe what you're saying. Uh, yeah, maybe it is, but I don't know. You're still... I don't know, man. You're still right there in the thick of it, and all. And I do think that there was a that one thing that I think is a little bit frustrating with the Miami thing. And I, I don't, I don't want to give up on the Mark Richt hire yet. I don't want to, I don't want to start saying that. I'm not there yet, but it is frustrating that how many hiring cycles we have to go through as everybody in America. Is is running these faster pace spread offenses like Miami and and Dade and Broward County is like the school that isn't in, like that get make why is, hire, why is hire Miami the, yeah why is Miami running a, a Big Ten offense yeah hire the most fast pace hundred plays a game guy you can find. Let's just get. Let's just find something that gets as many skill players in space as possible. Because those, there's more skill players in America, in the world, in the in all of the world. There's, <laughs> there may not be an area with more skilled talent than in Broward, Palm Beach, and Dade County down there in South Florida. So, like, let's let those guys run free. Uh, so it's just it's it's that it will be my only critique of the Miami situation is let let's let's start playing to our strengths here boys uh and and i think like i said i don't want to give up on mark rick 
but I also think it's disappointing almost when you have a chance to make a really sort of exciting hire from a from a offensive system standpoint and you just and you just decide to kind of go with uh more of a sexy hire from a name standpoint um so i don't know maybe that maybe mark rick needs to i mean i think he does need to he maybe he's the one that should have been hired hiring kendall briles uh yeah manny diaz might be the head coach at miami in two to three seasons yeah yeah absolutely i think you're that, that may be hot you know hot take uh hot take alert that's that that's one that i could see play out you know like because he's if all he has to do is win there he's he's from south florida he's from miami his dad's the mayor former mayor he's he's the the you know the, the turnover chain is his brainchild he's you know it's and he's never gotten the head coaching look that was i was writing about the the hire at the time and i you know you go back and i you remember manny diaz because he had these you know the nasty defense at mississippi state uh you know he everywhere for the most part except for that poor stint at texas where he got fired i kind of felt like he was always getting this hot coach on the rise type moniker and type talk but he hasn't actually gotten the the shot at the big time and here it is right now i mean he you know came up under under mickey andrews and and the old like dominant bobby bowden florida state defenses and that's that I, I I really feel like at Temple, which has just become the launching point to the Power Five, that I I think that he will follow the same path. He'll go there. He'll have two to three good seasons. And by the way, how about what Temple football has been able to become here over the last five or six uh, years? Because Temple football just was not at all competitive, and now it's become like the cradle of coaching for some yeah. reason. I mean, is that is that a, a university administrative investment? Basically, like they decided we're going to be good at football, and they they put forth the the facilities, the money, made the hires they needed to, and now it's just, uh, yeah, and now it's the the minor leagues for the Power Five, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's obviously they they have had some of the most successful seasons in program history here in the last five or six years. Yeah, if if I'm a power a group of five AD. They're the the blueprint. You just keep on making really good hires, signing with good contracts, getting paid out a bunch of buyout money, getting rich off other people poaching from you guys. And every time they poach one away, your program's in a better position from a national brand standpoint and from a from a visibility standpoint. And it's it it's I mean that's the way to go. Just keep on making great hires. Uh, and credit to them for. For doing that um i don't know who i don't know who the ad is over there but he's he's done a good job um all right so let's one of the first headlines that we're going to get of the week is just uh it's it's suspension season baby because we've got some uh some players that are going to be missing for personal reasons uh sometimes you've got a team rules violation but Dabo sweeney ain't hiding anything barton he came out and he spelled very carefully the substance that was found, a, quote, sliver that was found inside the samples of three Clemson players, most notably a star defensive tackle, uh, Dexter Lawrence. The, he said it is Osterine. It's O-S-T-A-R-I-N-E. But I've become an expert about it in the last three days. There's plenty of stuff y'all can look at. 
And I'd be willing to bet that there's a likelihood that if all of us tested right now, some of us might have some of it in our system, and we'd have no idea. A slither, a trace, and a fraction. All right? So, uh, as we as we look at the... Obviously, Dexter Lawrence is the one that uh, is most significant. Uh, we also have a rotation offensive lineman and backup uh, tight end, Braden Galloway. Wednesday, so we're recording this now on Wednesday morning. They're expecting Wednesday or Thursday to get additional testing back. Dexter Lawrence could be cleared. Um, but I, I want to pose it like this. If Dexter Lawrence is not cleared, do you think that this is enough of an impact from a personnel perspective to change your view of what Clemson can do defensively to Notre Dame? I'll be curious what your answer to this is. I, I, I don't necessarily think it changes my expectation for the game. I mean, it's, it hurts Clemson, but that's a, I mean, it'd almost be if they lost Trayvon Mullen or something, that would almost to me be a bigger issue because there's not somebody ready to come in. Yeah. You can't just, you can't just move on to the next guy and not the Dexter Lawrence isn't a, isn't a big, a big time impact guy and and the guy behind them isn't as good as him but they got guys behind them they got they got waves of defense alignment so i don't necessarily think this is super consequential one way or the other i think whoever was is is as you know the the fate that is aligned right now whoever god has dubbed the winner of this game <laughs> i think is still going to be the winner of this game regardless of who the you know who whether Dexter Lawrence is playing or not and that's and and I think you know hey I'm not I'm not ruling out Notre Dame as the winner right um, even with Dexter Lawrence uh, so but I that's not to say I don't think this is consequential I think it's a, it's a big deal I but I think Clemson can overcome it and I think that Notre Dame is probably capable of winning with or without Dexter Lawrence that may be the you know the the uh, non-standard take there is just that I actually Notre Dame could win this game. I guess we could, we'll dig into that a little more uh, as we get into this discussion. Uh, I I think it could end up being incredibly significant because there's there are star players that can come in behind them, but not even Christian Wilkins is six four three fifty with that kind of movement and that. I mean, it's just I think that Dexter Lawrence is a unique human being to the point that his loss. It's not that Clemson necessarily suffers, but they're missed. They're missing a plus, right? Like if if Clemson without Dexter Lawrence is still good enough to beat Notre Dame, and if Clemson without Dexter Lawrence is still good enough to compete for a national championship, you know, I I think that whatever value he brings is is the type of you know margin eliminating value that can be the difference in winning a national championship. So I mean, yeah. if if he is eliminated. Clemson for sure is going to uh, figure out ways and Brent Venables is going to, you know, find the right guy, whether that be uh, Niles Pinckney, whether it be Albert Huggins, you know, maybe they end up sort of mixing things up a little bit where you, you use more Xavier Thomas and, and you bump uh, Austin Bryant inside. Like there's like you mentioned, there are waves and waves of dudes that are ready to come in future NFL players, but Dexter Lawrence is a potential top 10 pick and it's just the the physics over football argument that I come back to sometime. And if Notre Dame does not have to worry about Dexter Lawrence, 
then it is a big time change to their run game. And if it's a big time change to their run game, then uh, I think it creates so much more balance for that whole fighting Irish offense. So I think that whatever ruling this is, and just to be clear, it could be that the additional testing, the B sample, shows that there's nothing in the player's systems and all of them could be cleared. And there have been several times with this particular substance, which can be found in like hair creams and, and other, other ways that it can get into your system besides uh, taking the band performance enhancer. But if, if he is not in the lineup, I think that, for example, that is a big boost to uh, Dexter Williams and Jafar Armstrong and their ability to run up the middle. That 6'4", 350-pound top 10 NFL draft pick Dexter Lawrence just isn't there. Uh, could be a big deal with a good Notre Dame offensive line starting to be, feel a little bit more confident instead of just having that. And I don't, I don't think any Notre Dame offensive lineman would be fearful. I mean, they're playing at Notre Dame. They've, they got, you know, they want to go knock the snot out of anybody, no matter how big they are. But man, Dex, I was, I was standing next to him at media, media day, man. He just, he just reminds you of how large these college football players could get. The, uh, and according to Pete Thamel's story, a, a source with extensive experience in NCAA drug testing realm told Yahoo Sports on Monday that the players' chances of playing in the Cotton Bowl are, quote, slim and none. Uh, so, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for Clemson. And I think, you know, Dabo was trying to paint the picture of this is – anyone could, could get this and, uh, you know, this is totally – random and uh whatever but it sounds like the in terms of the actual mechanics of this thing playing out it's uh it sounds unlikely that these guys will be in the game Mm. um so with that with that as a as a backdrop or with that as a underlying uh theme here what, what was your you were at Clemson. You were you were uh, talked to some of these guys up close and personal. What was your takeaway? What was your you know as uh, in the build up to this game? Where where you stand in terms of what you expect and, and, and what you learned in, uh, at Clemson? You're not going to believe this, but Dexter Lawrence told me that he thinks they had too much fun in New Orleans last year, and they didn't have the right mindset. And the fact that he might miss this game because of a failed drug test is just, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. But uh, there is a lot of lessons that were learned from last year. And Christian Wilkins talked about this a lot. Austin Bryant, another senior. I wanted to talk to the guys who are preparing for their fourth college football playoff. Yeah. And my hunch was something that was confirmed by their comments they, they've done it all. They've won and right. lost a college football playoff semifinal. They have won and lost a college football playoff national championship game. They are fully aware that this is the last time that the Power Rangers are going to be riding together. And they really do have um, a, much more, a much more balanced, a much more focused. They, they seem to be really driven by um, – this what whatever the core is like whatever that energy that that joyous energy that positive energy that Dabo Swinney builds with every single team and that he feeds throughout the year I think that that energy the core of that team which is a combination of players and that was another interesting takeaway like when when they won with Deshaun Watson Deshaun Watson was the leader of the team 
the Clemson players describe this year's team as a much more egalitarian, you know, democratic. There's a lot of people. They're all pulling the weight. And I think that that is the only way that Clemson could have gotten here with the changeover that they had at the quarterback position because I, I, I have a hunch that we might see Trevor Lawrence unleashed a little bit in this game. And that was just a hunch from from talking to some of the skill position players and and just sort of the you know Trevor doesn't say much he's really he's like yeah the older guys tell me what to do it's really good I mean he's you know he's yeah. he he's not giving you good quotables but uh, I would I would say that there is something about this year's Clemson team that gives me confidence that the the no show type performance that we saw against Alabama for reasons on the field and off is not going to take place again against Notre Dame. They might lose to Notre Dame, um, but I, I think that if so, it would have been in a terrific performance by Notre Dame as well because they've learned from their mistakes, they've been there before, and that collective playoff experience seems to be really driving this group. Yeah, so I was at Notre Dame and talked to several of the coaches, um, talked to several of the players, had some sit-downs with those guys, and one thing that and I was sort of as 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 the day was done and I had talked to a bunch of guys and I, look I, I went into this thinking Notre Dame was going to cover um, and thinking that there was plenty of reason to, to expect these two teams were more equal than the, the point spread would suggest and that the matchup um, you know doesn't this is a matchup Notre Dame can can handle. And you know, obviously, I'm talking to these guys that, that sort of backed it up because they're they're going to be confident and they're going to. Uh, but but one thing that did kind of catch my my attention was uh, before I left, I was talking to um, you know one of the one of the staffers over there, and, and I was talking, you know, saying, you know what, like you guys, I feel like you guys got a shot here. I mean, this is the matchups kind of make sense, and it's yeah, they, you know. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I was like, the one thing I'm a little worried about is. The, Clemson's been there four times. This this will be mm. the fourth time with, with this team. Yeah, and uh, and and this will be the first time with our with our guys. So you just never know how they're going to handle it. And I think you can be confident in how Clemson's going to handle it. And that is the one thing. If I'm just talking about picking the game, that does concern me a little bit. I guess you can you can um, cushion that a little bit and couch it a little bit with the fact that maybe it is the first time for the most important player. And Trevor Lawrence, right? So maybe that, maybe that. But but Trevor Lawrence just doesn't. Uh, I don't know. He's big. He's, for a freshman, he's been in as, as big as many big moments as you could ask. He's played in the Army All American Bowl. He's played for for three state championships. He's done it since his freshman year at big you know big time football in high school. He's he's dealt with the pressure of a of basically running a senior quarterback out of town and, and being handed the keys and saying, you better not screw this up kid. Uh, so he's, he's more prepared than most freshmen in this situation, but he's still a freshman on, on the biggest stage of his life. And perhaps that's enough to, um, to give them a little bit of, of, well, and, know, and Notre Dame hasn't played in a college football playoff, but man, every single game Notre Dame plays in is a huge one. I mean, yeah. so for the seniors on Notre Dame's, I think there's 50 juniors and senior, over 50 juniors and seniors on Clemson's roster. I do not have the count, but I feel like the collective starts uh, on this Notre Dame team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, like they have played 
not in a playoff game, but they have played in several games every single season with a playoff type atmosphere. Now you know you get you get into that that big stadium and you know who knows what's going to happen, but doesn't I mean doesn't Notre Dame play in an NFL stadium or a neutral site type environment at least once every single year? Like there's it with the exception of the fact that you're competing for a national championship and the mental impact of that probably should not be overlooked. But if you ignore that, then it is not something that should be unfamiliar to Notre Dame's leadership. And Notre Dame is, they are a very ex- experienced veteran team. Right. Uh, and both sides of the ball, really. I mean, and Ian Book has been, that, that was one of, like, and I've really, I, I enjoyed sitting down with Ian Book because he is, while he is the first year starter and he's sort of the comeback kid and the underdog story and all this stuff, he's he's got a very, he's got like a nice mix of confidence and sort of awe at the situation like like he's he's kind of blown away that he's on the cover of sports illustrated but when you ask him about you know being an underdog in this game and and to ask him about how to beat clemson you got to throw the football and are you re- ready to take on that responsibility he there's a there's a subtle sly smile and confidence and soft-spoken confidence at that uh that that underlies everything he says and so if i think from a from the mental like i'm i'm curious because you know i've kind of compared him i sort of mentioned in the past like is this is this ian books jake browning game against alabama in the playoffs two years ago and i think there is that possibility from a just pure arm talent perspective and some of the throws he might have to make uh but Notre Dame's done a pretty good job of of and and I and I do think another thing talking to you know talking to some of the coaches like the difference in that team from when Ian Book took over I mean it is it is as dramatic as we've noticed as, as everyone else has noticed it to be you know what I mean like it wasn't as if oh that that, that offense was was going to take off anyways and it just sort of worked out you know that that was I think a a dramatic change in and outside of the building when Ian Book took over and so there is a I think a real belief in him in that building which of course uh, is followed by the headline this week that it looks like Wimbush is going to be transferring out sure because As he should be why yeah. would you. Why, yeah. why would you stay when Ian Book seems to have that thing locked up? What's your uh, what when you're having those conversations about you know stopping Trevor Lawrence or about, about defending uh, Clemson? Because I I do I do feel like that's where this thing might end up being decided. What's what is the Notre Dame scouting of Clemson's offense right now? Well, I think the the what they are going to need to stop above all else is Travis Etienne gashing them in the run game. Yep. I, th- I think that's probably the thing that is – because, I, I, look, one of the things, and I brought this up to them, is, look, you guys – I mean, the, the big Clemson, you know, monsters on the outside that you got to match up with in, with your defensive backfield, it's kind of nice that you got a couple big monsters of your own that you're practicing against every day. I don't think that this, you know, Julian Love and and those defensive backs are going to have some sort of 
wide-eyed moment seeing Justin Ross and, and T. Higgins on the outside. Not to say that there's not a challenge in front of them, but they they face Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool sure. every day. Yeah. Uh, and so I think and, – and Trevor Lawrence is going to make some f- phenomenal throws. Uh, you know, talking to their defensive coordinator, he was, you know, was hoping he was going to turn on the film and, and see uh, Trevor Lawrence at – you know, a true freshman that they could exploit. And he was like, I hate it. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's made it. like the throws he's making are, are ridiculous throws. And uh, so that's not, that's not where we're going to be able to uh, exploit unnecessarily. So I, I think, but, but it all starts, I think with stopping those gashing Travis Etienne runs and making sure you've got a game plan to, to limit those. And then, and then you've got to play sound defense elsewhere. And, and look, the, the, what Notre Dame's done as well as anyone in the country is limit big plays. Um, that's a that's been a real characteristic, defining characteristic of this team, and so that might you might see some of that. And that's not based on anything anyone told me. That's based on just sort of me reading between the lines and just sort of looking at the matchups. Like you might you might see a Notre Dame team that is that says, okay, y'all uh, drive the field on us. Like, let's, let's I do dare it. you. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they'll play field position because they they think that they are not going to. I mean, look, Travis Etienne averaged eight point three yards per carry, and that's not because he runs for eight yards every single time he has the ball. It's because he can rip off forty yard runs at the drop of a hat. Right. And, and if Notre Dame doesn't allow that, and all of a sudden, you know, Clemson has to has to really start grinding out some drives. You know what? What happens with uh, the play calling there? Do they start to press at all? Does Trevor Lawrence start to press at all? They they have gotten a lot of their their yards and their touchdowns. You know, even in the games that are a little bit tougher. And I, I think back to you know the the twenty seven to seven the Boston College game. It was at Chestnut Hill, and Clemson just rode its defense. Boston College's quarterback got knocked out of the game, but. I want to say Travis Etienne, that was one of only a couple games where he finished under 100 yards, and they just they were not giving him anything on those first and second downs and making it really, really tough. Basically, he was getting most of his success you know, on short yardage type situations. So I, I think that there is, when you turn on the tape, examples against uh, a Boston College or maybe even you could say examples – going all the way back to the Texas A&M game where defenses have been able to load up and not allow uh, the Clemson rushing offense to be as successful as it's been in its, you know, 77-point win against Louisville or putting 59 on the board against Florida State. Yeah, and and, and that's, I think, as much as anything, that is sort of the um, – yeah, that, that's the characteristic of this Clemson offense that it gets a little bit overlooked is how, you know, how effective – they've been in the run game and how much that opens up the outside. So uh, that's going to need to be a focus. Um, you know, and I, I think defensively or offensively for Notre Dame, attacking that Clemson defense is going to be, I mean, they're going to need to score points, obviously, and perhaps there's been some uh, some blueprints laid out for them, most recently South Carolina. Um Where's your confidence level that, that Notre Dame can do that? I think that Notre Dame's wide receivers are going to have success against Clemson's defensive backs. And it's only going to be a matter of, from an, from an offensive standpoint, Notre Dame figuring out ways to avoid uh, the third and long obvious pass rush blitzing situations. And if they can do that, 
then we've got we've got a real chance to see a back and forth ball game because there is absolute I mean Debo Samuel had like 10 catches for 200 some yards and three touchdowns. Now Debo Samuel is going to go down as one of the better SEC receivers in program history, but you know, in terms of size, speed and athleticism, I I think that Notre Dame is going to be able to to look at that and find the number. I mean, the, you can go through when Clemson trots out its uh defense. There's a couple of players that are not uh, up to a national championship caliber level and no doubt uh, that offensive staff is going to have those numbers circled and they're going to look for those matchups and they're going to get those matchups if Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and the rest of the – Alizé Mack especially I think could end up being huge here. Uh, I think that Notre Dame's wide receivers – Notre Dame's wide receivers over Clemson's defensive backs might be the greatest advantage that the Irish have in this game. I think they will be successful as long as uh, they can find ways to avoid third and long. I think asking for um, – Asking for a quarterback who, as a first-year starter, has gotten has been historically accurate thanks to a lot of the short passing game, possession passing game. I think if you ask him to do third and nine against Brent Venables, that's not a winning scenario. Outside of that, I think the passing game should be very strong. Yeah, I'm trying to think here. Um, I'm looking at – so this is probably – Maybe with the exception of, of Texas A&M, this is probably the best receiving core that Clemson's faced. Would, would would that be a fair statement? I mean, South Carolina's got some some players with Debo and Brian Edwards. Um, um, Brian Edwards, uh, but and and I mean, NC State's got some good players. NC State was probably the best receiving core, and that was also just a game where. I mean, you remember NC State came in real hot at that point. Yeah, they were they were talking college football playoff, talking we're going to go into Death Valley and and whoop up on them, and then uh, just totally got snuffed out. I I would say that um, what's his face who lit him up? Mm, Kendrick Rogers. Remember Kendrick Rogers lit him up in the Texas A and M game. That's what I'm saying. That I mean, that's a that's a pretty legit unit there. Yeah. Uh, and and they had some success. Um, NC State may have caught Clemson at a bad time. Um, so it'll be. You know, I think that's a that's a fair matchup to to highlight and and take a look at because I do think that the deficiencies in Clemson's secondary are real. Yep. It's just a matter of who's who's good enough to exploit them, and and who's good enough who's good enough everywhere else but receiver to exploit them, you know, hold up in the line of scrimmage, you know, have a balanced run game, uh, have a quarterback that can, you know, can, can make throws under pressure. Uh, if you can do all that, you know, you've got a chance because you can, you can throw on this Clemson team. Okay. So as we sit here, 11 a.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, the 26th, what's your score prediction? Uh, I think it's, I would go like, Maybe like thirty to twenty-four. Clemson. Clemson. I still think this is a. I. I. I don't know whether I'm just sort of. I. Well, let me hear yours. What's Thirty-one yours? seventeen. All right. So you think it's a? So that score tells me you think it's a. Relatively close, relatively competitive game, but never in doubt. Right. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Yes. 
and, and yeah. like maybe and, and maybe one of those uh maybe one of those Clemson touchdowns is like the late pick six I I think it will be a very very fun competitive game I think it hits the under I think that both quarterbacks make some mistakes I think we see I think we see each quarterback throw an interception um and I think that you know, at the very end, maybe Ian Book pressing a little bit ends up being the a strip sack or something else that makes the final score look a little bit more dominant than the way the game played out. Thirty one seventeen. Yeah, yeah, I I could see that for sure. Um, I the one scenario I don't think happened. I don't think this is just Clemson totally outclassing Notre Dame. I don't think we see a 2012 Notre Dame, uh, you know, z- zero effort performance. I, I think we s- this is not going to be a 24 point win by Clemson. I don't think. Um, I think I think realistic scenarios are, you know, a, 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 a performance like you just said, 14 point win, uh, a close Clemson win, a close Notre Dame win. I think are all realistic. Is a Notre Dame blowout win among the likely scenario or possible scenarios? Blowout meaning like twenty something points. Let's say Clemson held Clemson's offense held under fourteen points. Um. So, is a two score Notre Dame? I think I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Notre Dame wins by two scores, meaning ten points. 13 points, something like that, that I don't think it's – I have a hard time seeing Clemson just getting – not getting in the 20s. Yeah. Man, what if – all right. So, yeah, I, I will eliminate that. I think that if Clem, I think if either team wins by 20 points, then I think it's because the game got loose and we're talking like 49-28 type stuff. Right. right. Like it just, it get, we had some special teams touchdowns, some defensive touchdowns. It was high scoring, and one team pulled away late. I mean the 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 Clemson South Carolina game, I guess, is sort of an, an example that I'm pulling from recent history there, where I'm like, yeah, like there was never a doubt, but man, like South Carolina hung around in that game. They caused caused some problems, and maybe and maybe that's what we see uh, Notre Dame do as well, where they're they're willing to play a little back and forth and see if uh, Trevor Lawrence. And Clemson's offense can keep up with Notre Dame. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be really fun. Just just to go yeah. wide open. Uh, but, yeah. The um. So, all right. So we're going to tomorrow. We'll be in in Miami. Correct. And we will be talking to the folks for the Tide and the Sooners. Uh, and we'll have a recap of that. Um, before we get out of here and head head down to Miami, one note to, to touch on: uh, Alabama suspended three players, including Deontay Brown, starting offensive guard. Uh, I guess we can dig into that a little more tomorrow. But th- I think that's not insignificant to have Deontay Ooh. Brown out. Just, just he was he got hurt in, in Mississippi State, the game I went to, um, and Alabama looked different in the run game after he got hurt. Do you think that they were all uh, drug tests? Who knows? That's not fair for us to speculate. That's not fair for us to speculate. But when all the suspensions come out around the same time, 
And you know the yeah. NCAA doesn't test unless the championship is on the line. And all of a sudden, all these championship competing teams all gotten got the same news at the same time. I don't know. There could be any number of of reasons, but uh, it's that time of year. Yeah, one one thing I think um, I can't remember who said it. Maybe Julian Love or maybe Tavon Coney when I was talking to them. Uh, you know, I was you know the answer to the question something to the effect of like, how's the you know how's the prep been what have you guys been focusing on as you gear up towards clemson and start to shift your focus now towards actual game for whatever and the answer was well you know we, you know to this point we, you know we've had finals and and academics and we've really just been focused on making sure everyone's eligible and yeah. you, know, you, you don't think about that but yeah it's like, yeah you, you know fail an exam or something and you know i haven't seen any academic ineligibilities unless some of these suspensions are are academic related but that's that's a real that's a that's a real concern. Now they're through the through the woods on that front, I would imagine, and and, and everyone's eligible. So, all right. Well, uh, Barton, I look forward to seeing you uh, in person tomorrow. Should be fun. Safe travels. Yes. Yeah. We'll have some good live energy uh, next couple of days. And I think so. We got so we're going to do Orange Bowl preview and whatever other news and notes have popped up tomorrow, the twenty seventh, and then twenty eighth. We're doing locks. Is that right? We might, it might, oh, it, it oh, we might record twenty seventh in the late afternoon. If we do it Friday, right. we'll try to hit it in the morning, just so that we, we got some games on the twenty eighth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we we y'all may need to be ready for a double decker. Subscribe. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna drop it. I like. I promise you, we will not be holding anything. As soon as it is recorded and edited. We will release it to you. So subscribe so that you can get it first. I think it's the best bet. Yep. Yep. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Safe travels, bro.